What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today, my guest is an author by the name of Ian McRae. So he's actually written multiple books. And this was the first book that I've actually read by him. I was actually introduced to his work from uh, David Robson. Uh, You've heard him on the podcast. He's uh, been on twice. He recently came back on to talk about his new book, The Expectation Effect, which I hope you've all read. But anyways, I saw him tweeting about Ian's new book. And I saw this and you'll hear me talk to Ian about it in this conversation. I'm like, well, you know, is this is this book really going to be different? And I absolutely love this book. So Ian, you know, he's into uh, like organizational psychology. So for those of you who don't know, this is kind of like workplace psychology. But with this book, Ian like blends a few different topics and it's just so interesting. And I, I, I was hooked, right? So originally I just thought it was going to be about social media and how we interact with different personalities on social media. And there's a lot of that in the book. Like a lot of us, you know, we know about like personality types and everything, but there hasn't really been much conversation about what happens when you put this type of personality on the internet, right? So uh, the book kind of starts out with that stuff, but then he gets into, you know, how we're digitally communicating at work, but also dealing with different personalities at work. So for any of you uh, listening to this podcast, like whether you currently have a job or you've ever had a job, we all have difficult people we're working with, whether it's coworkers or bosses, or if you are a boss, we have difficult employees and all that. And Ian, in this book, he talks about all these different personality types, and he also goes into how we can better deal with these people, right? So not only does it get into like introverts and extroverts, but he also dives into like personality disorders and how to spot them, how to deal with them and all sorts of stuff. So like this book covers like a wide range of topics, but it's all very, very coherent. And Ian's a really, really smart guy. Absolutely love talking with him. And this book is phenomenal. So yeah, make sure you head down to the description. Make sure you're following Ian over on Twitter and grab a copy of his book. So one of the reasons I'm releasing the podcast today is because the book has been out in the UK, but it is actually out this week, uh, January 18th here in North America. So make sure you head down to the description, follow Ian, grab a copy of the book. It's out everywhere now. And yeah, if you find anything interesting, which I guarantee you will, make sure you check out this book because it's so important to understand that not everybody's like us. We're not like everybody else when it comes to personalities. This is often why we clash. And with Ian's book, we can kind of learn how to navigate this world a little bit better, get along with people a little better, and all that kind of good stuff. All right, but before we get started, if you're not yet, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. That's linked down in the description below. I love chatting with all of you, and this way you don't miss any upcoming episodes. I've been writing a ton over on Substack, and I've been getting a lot of great feedback. I'm really glad that you guys are liking what I'm writing because uh, I've mentioned this in a few Substack pieces, like, the main reason I write is because 
topics come to me, I'm like, why is nobody talking about this? Like, I'm a nerd. I'm researching everything. So when when I don't see anybody talking about something, I've like done a lot of research. So I try to cover different uh, topics, take different perspectives and stuff like that. So anyways, if you're following me on social media, you won't miss any episodes or sub stacks. And I love chatting with all of you. Uh, I've been having great conversations over on Twitter and stuff like that. But the other thing is some of you, some of you lucky folks out there, are listening to this episode of the podcast a day early. And those of you who aren't listening to it a day early, you might be wondering, wait, what? How do I get in on that? But anyways, again, go back to Substack. If you become a paid subscriber over there, it's either $5 a month or $50 for the year. It helps support the podcast. And for you, I release the podcast a day early. So all of the paid uh, subscribers over on Substack, you get the episodes a day early. And we have a bunch, a bunch of great episodes coming up. I have Nicholas Christakis coming on. I have Rob Henderson coming on. I just recorded the other day with uh, Bridget Phetasy. And I have so many great authors coming up uh, that you'll love. So if you want to get those a day early, make sure you subscribe over on Substack. That's linked down in the description. But anyways... Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ian McRae about his brand new book, Dark Social. All right. Hello, Ian. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and fun story for the audience. When I first heard about your book, I'm like, I don't know. There's a lot of social media books. A lot of them are the same. And as soon as I got into your brand new book that we're talking about, Dark Social, I was like, this is different. So for everybody out there, uh, can you can you tell them a little bit about what what inspired Dark Social? And you've written a few books on this. So also, I guess, how is it different than the other books that you've written? Yeah, some of my other books actually have been more about the bright side of both leadership and kind of workplace behavior. Yeah. So like what you look for in a kind of positive uh, effective, ethical leader, mm-hmm. um, what you look for in hiring, managing, uh, digital communication, that kind of stuff. But it was very much about the positive traits that you look for and that you want. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought looking at the dark side of that got more and more interesting, the more research I did in kind of other areas, especially with social media, because there's a lot of books written on social media and kind of mm-hmm. business communication. But now I think social media and digital communication is just a core part of mm. work and kind of everyone's life. So I think understanding the implications and the effects that that has on people is really, really important to look at from a psychological point of view to say, Mm -hmm. okay, all of this stuff we use every single day that's affecting how we work, how we communicate, how we, you know, relate to other people, what's actually going on there Mm -hmm. um, and trying to pick some of that apart. I think there's interesting parts of it for, you know, kind of marketing and for business and for understanding how you're using that in a professional professional sense. But Mm -hmm. I think individually and personally, I think it's interesting to look at the impact that that has on people too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that drew me into this book. Like, I am just a huge psychology nerd. I love learning about it. I love organizational psychology, which we were just talking about before we hopped on everything. Mm-hmm. And and you have this uh, unique take. And I'm curious, you know, where where do you see this crossover? Because there's a lot about, which we'll dive into a little bit further, about like within organizations, right? The type of people you work with, the different personalities of people that you work with. But then there's also quite a bit of social media and personality styles that we come across on social media. So in your opinion, like where does that overlap? Because I'm always thinking about like the audience too, right? Is this mainly for like 
people within the workplace or also just your everyday social media user and someone who might just have an ordinary job? Yeah, I think it's for anyone who has just any ordinary job. It's yeah. taken from a workplace perspective. But one of the reasons I like to work and write from that perspective is it's something that most people can relate to. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting way of looking at personality and dynamics and the kind of communication and what happens between people, because we can look at it in a relatively structured scenario or environment of work is to mm -hmm. say, okay, when people are in these conditions or in these kind of environments, then this is kind of how their personalities manifest. This is how you can understand them and these kind mm -hmm. of sets of behavior. Um, I think that's really interesting. So I'm not talking about kind of personal or romantic relationships so much. I'm doing it more from a workplace perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but I think all of the lessons that are in here, you can take and look at from your personal life or personal relationships or kind of understanding people mm -hmm. in different contexts. But um, just from my background, from my expertise, I think the workplace organizational setting is most interesting. Yeah. And I get, I could definitely vouch for that because, uh, you know, I, I really got into psychology and just different mental illnesses, uh, through personality disorders. I was working at a drug mm -hmm. and alcohol treatment center. We were a dual diagnosis. So we had people with mental illness and addictions. And the first one I really learned about was borderline personality disorder. Right. And yeah. you know, they, uh, you talk about that a little bit in your book and they could be di very difficult to deal with, but I wanted to educate myself because I'm like, these people need treatment too. And usually there's like a, a history and childhood trauma or something going on there. But then I started learning about all these other personality disorders. But uh, before we dive more into some of the topics you cover around personality, I'm curious your thoughts because personality is like, it's very like debated, right? About how much you yeah. can actually, you know, understand about a personality. Like uh, you, you talk a little bit about the Myers-Briggs, which is like something that kind of blew up and you know, organizations are like, here, we're going to hire you based on your Myers-Briggs personality type. Yeah. But, you know, they've, they've shown that you could take the test one week and get one personality type. The next week you take it, it's something different. So from uh, all the research that you've done and you've been writing about this stuff for a long time, where do you see, like, how much can we know and research and study and understand about the personality? And I guess, where's, where's, where's the pseudoscientific stuff that we should kind of just disregard in your opinion? Yeah, so there's a very wide range of quality and personality tests, and there are some very good ones. And there are kind of scientific models of personality that have been really well studied, demonstrated and researched. And there's also quite a few that are not great. And the Myers-Briggs is a good example of that, right? It's mm -hmm. there's no real scientific or theoretical basis behind it. It's got mm -hmm. a long history. It's very popular, but there's no evidence that it predicts anything. Like yeah. I think in the US, it's illegal to, it should be, or it is illegal now to use Myers-Briggs for mm. selecting employees, right? Because there's no evidence that it is actually predictive of any of the factors that you're looking for at work. So mm -hmm. it's still really commonly used. It's used all over the place. It's used sometimes, I think, in ways it shouldn't be or in, potentially could violate employment law. But there is a really strong body of scientific research in personality and personality disorders that we can use to predict performance and behavior. But again, only to a certain degree. So these are not predicting your absolute future. They might mm -hmm. be predicting, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the variance in success, which is really good for a good personality test, but it's not a hundred percent. There's all sorts of mm -hmm. other things that are really important. It can help you understand certain ways, um, that people kind of behave, communicate, relate to other people or certain kind of patterns of behavior and thinking, which is helpful. It's useful. Um, mm -hmm. but it's not a hundred percent. So, you know, if we look mm -hmm. at the variations of the big five, which is one of the kind of classic, really well-researched yeah. studied personality models, 
um, then we can use that to predict some success in the workplace, but only to a limited extent. You know, that's maybe 20 to 30% of performance, but the, all sorts of other stuff matters, right? Your motivation, your experience, yeah. your knowledge, how well you work with other people. So it's a piece of the puzzle that if we have a really good scientifically validated tool, we can mm -hmm. use it as part of it, but it's not 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also curious your thoughts on like how much a person's personality can change, right? So I think one of the reasons I got, you know, initially skeptical and started learning more about like the good versus bad, like uh, research around personality is because I'm a recovering drug addict, right? So like my personality for the first, I don't know, 27 years of my life, I was a completely different person. I got sober in 2012, <laughs> yeah. even in early sobriety. I was a different type of person, right? Like mm. I was very selfish, self-centered and all this stuff. And as time went on and I started doing therapy and 12-step programs, I'm a completely different person, right? So I, I guess one of uh, the reasons why, you know, when I talk with people, I'm like, hey, I kind of like you're saying, like it, it, it does tell you a little bit, but we have to take into context more things. So, mm. you know, my, cause one of my fears is that people get this kind of fixed mindset that here's my personality. I'm an INFPJ or whatever the letters are, right? And like, that's who I am. Yeah. This is a, like, so how much, how, how uh, malleable is personality from what you've researched and found? Well, I think you make a really important point there because personality in adulthood generally tends to be quite stable, but mm -hmm. we kind of think of that as very stable in kind of consistent environment circumstances, but without kind of severe psychological intervention is one of the ways of describing it. Then there's not a lot of change. And 20 years of drug or alcohol abuse is a severe intervention in your yeah, a little bit. <laughs> brain and behavior and everything, right? So that's, I mean, exactly. So that kind of thing can create changes and sometimes long or short-term changes in personality because it's fundamentally changing how you're relating to other people, how you're understanding your environment, what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. So generally for most people, personality doesn't change a lot in adulthood. It does, mm -hmm. it can in adolescence and childhood. But if people are in kind of fairly stable, consistent environments and there's nothing major that's affecting their brain over the long period of time, then people mm -hmm. don't tend to change personality that much. But like in your example, it can be more malleable. Yeah. So I'm also curious, uh, I, I don't know if you've looked into this. So, you know, there's obviously substances that like alter the brain chemistry and all that. But I also think about, you know, we touched on a little bit, like uh, thinking about like borderline personality disorder and, you know, uh, mm. even people who just uh, uh, experience a lot of childhood trauma. Um, you know, I got really into like the adverse childhood experience research uh, and the testament around that. So. Let's say, let's say, you know, you're working with somebody or you are somebody at a job and you, you had terrible childhood experiences, right? You're an adult now, your childhood made you kind of a, a dick, right? But <laughs> it's affecting your job, right? Nobody likes to be yeah. around you. Like you talk about these types of personalities. Yeah. In yep, the there's a few of those. <laughs> and, and let's say somebody's reading your book and you're like, and they're like, Hey, I'm this type of person. I suck. Now I want to go to <laughs> therapy. So. How much like, and, and say they're in their thirties, say they're in their forties. Like, uh, do you, do you have any kind of knowledge of like, you know, effective therapies or intervention methods where somebody, you know, as, as formed as the personality is like, but they do want to change. You know what I mean? How much is that yeah. possible in adulthood? Well, it is definitely possible. And personality is difficult to change without a lot of work and a lot of practice mm -hmm. and a lot of changing habits. 
behaviors can change though, and behaviors mm. and habits can change in the short term. So I don't want anyone to take from this that you can't change if you think you're an <laughs> asshole or you think someone else is an asshole, yeah. then there's no redemption. There absolutely is. And if someone's reading this and thinks, oh, I see some of these kind of negative, destructive, toxic behaviors in myself, maybe that's something I want to change. So that's a fantastic first step, right? If you yeah. say, okay, I could see that I could act a little differently in this situation, but I'm going to need some help or some support or some advice or tools to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, recommending treatment is not exactly my area. Yeah, yeah, Cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy is very, very useful, um, especially over the long term. And that's changing the way you're kind of thinking about things, thinking mm -hmm. about your behavior, changing that kind of those feedback loops. So mm -hmm. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, I don't know. What's your advice for someone who yeah, maybe, see no, it, maybe uh, if it's related to some sort of were, abuse, as, alcohol? Yeah, as you were talking, uh, the first thing I, 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 I was thinking was like, yeah, it does take a lot of work. And I think that's why mm. some people, you know, once they're an asshole, they stay an asshole because it does take a lot of work, right? Like I, you know, I did 12-step programs. I got into therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, huge help. I got into meditation. Like my my uh, initial Rewired Soul uh, brand was uh, doing mental health and addiction recovery stuff. because I And I was always saying like, it's a lot of work, right? Yeah. But kind of like you said, like, uh, for me personally, it was more about changing behaviors like this thing right here. It still goes mm. buck wild, but I've learned how to have some impulse control and take a step back and think about yeah. how I'm interacting with people. This podcast has helped out a lot because sometimes I touch on uh, I talk to authors who talk about controversial, like political topics that sometimes I disagree yep. with. And since I've been able to like sit back and listen and calm down, like I don't just fire back because I do think we have a, a big problem just in the world in general right now with people having healthy conversations and yeah. when you get to, and <laughs> as you right. probably know especially in the workplace when you get two strong personalities together mm. like it can it could turn into a mess so yeah for me like stuff like cognitive behavioral therapy and even mindfulness meditation like really helped me yeah. a ton you know um but but yeah what are, what are the things you started off your book with too uh you talk about like the Milgram studies the Zimbardo study, right? Yep. And out of curiosity, have you read have you read this book called Behind the Shock Experiment? I think it's called, but it's like a really in-depth book on the Milgram research. No, I haven't. Oh, uh, well, you might you might be interested in it. So yeah. me, me, when I learned about the Milgram studies and it pops up in 90% of the uh, psych books I come across, right? Like yep. I was like, yes, this makes perfect sense because when we look at the work world, for example, there's a lot of people, right, where it's like this fear of getting fired, right? There's a lot of obedience to authority. You know what Absolutely, I mean? Yeah. And and I see that like, uh, you know, my girlfriend right now, she's in her master's program for social work. And I've heard stories about just, you know, child uh, children being abused or domestic violence and stuff like that, where social workers were not doing what they should have done because of the people in power, right? So mm. if you if you could like uh when when we're looking at the Milgram studies and this obedience to authority, how does this kind of play out in the workplace? And I guess how do you kind of or what do you have any advice or suggestions like if you know that your boss is having you do something wrong or unethical? Like, A, why do we fall into that trap? Like, why are we so afraid to push back? Right. And what are some things that we can kind of recognize and maybe do about that? Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good point because I think this happens in every job, every workplace at different levels and different levels of severity too, right? Sometimes the impact is relatively minor. Sometimes it can be really severe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's all sorts of reasons. I mean, one of the basic ones is that people need an income or they need healthcare or they need this list of things. So the risk of getting fired or losing that income or losing the benefits can be really severe. So it's always that kind of um, kind of trade-off of thinking, how much of this can I deal with in the workplace? Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing is people have all sorts of other stuff going on in their lives and families and workplaces. And I think sometimes if you're busy, if you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, sometimes you just kind of power through stuff without mm-hmm. actually thinking about the kind of wider implications, the consequences of everything that's happening. So I think whenever you can, slowing down and taking any sort of pause or time or mm-hmm. a bit of mental, physical, kind of emotional space to process stuff separate from work and think about what the wider implications are or mm-hmm. about what you're actually doing can really help. Because often when we get kind of caught up in just doing stuff in a cycle of constantly doing the same thing, it just kind of starts to feel normal or natural rebuttals or of explanations about why it's happening or why it's happening to us. So being able to interrupt those kind of thought processes is really useful Mm -hmm. to think, okay, what are the consequences of, you know, this thing I've been asked to do, or Mm -hmm. maybe this completely out of the ordinary thing that I've been asked to do, or, you know, hiding something or covering something up or whatever. What are the wider implications of that, both for other people I work with, for clients or customers or whoever Mm -hmm. it is, or even for me, if I'm, if I have to do this in a continual way, what are the consequences of me psychologically, mm. emotionally of having to do this? I think we don't always take that time or space to consider what's happening or what the consequences are if, just because there's so much going on and there's so much complexity in it. Yeah. So interrupting that process can really help to, um, to manage that or to stop these destructive behaviors that we might be tempted or just kind of um, pushed to take part in. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's crazy talking about this. I've talked about the Milgram studies forever, but like, like since you're here, like you know, you're uh, you're into like organizational psych and stuff like that. It it reminds me. So there's a million reasons why I became addicted to alcohol and drugs and everything. Like I'm the son of an alcoholic mom, but it really took off because of the workplace. And so my experience was my uh, my first like job career was in car service. Right, I was in the repair department. And there was a lot of unethical, terrible things. And I was surrounded by people doing terrible things because it was all commission-based, right? So people are selling car repairs that aren't needed. And I'm watching this. And then and then you realize like, well, that's how the incentive structure is. And when you're paid 100% on commission, there's no salary, right? You're incentivized mm. to do this. And because of my own moral compass, I started drinking that away because I had a problem living with myself, you know? Mm. And, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons that I personally have developed so many different skills, like aside from this podcast and my YouTube channel, but I write too, I do so many different things. And I think it's, so I have this kind of control where I'm not dependent, you know, like, uh, for example, I was Mm. laid off because of just, you know, whatever in, uh, September and a lot of people have been laid off, but I have these other skills to fall back on. So I'm still able to survive, but also if I do end up in a situation, I've been a lot choosier about what jobs I take now, but that way, if I do end up in a workplace like that, I'm like, I can, I can bounce because I know that I have some security because my own self-sufficiency. And I guess that's something I try to teach people like develop skills. So you're not put in that kind of compromise <laughs> situation. Because, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing, actually, because you wrote, I read a really interesting article that you wrote about social comparison very recently. Oh, and I yeah. think that comes into it too, right? Because if you're in a workplace where other people are making a whole bunch of money or they're, you know, mm. have a whole bunch of clients or they're doing really well and you're thinking, okay, this is normal. This is what everyone else is doing. This is what I should be doing as well. But oh. you don't necessarily see the internal conflict they have about doing you know, things that are unethical or immoral or, you know, doing stuff that's causing harm mm. to other people. But so those comparisons are sometimes destructive if you're making them in the wrong way without the right information because you're saying, okay, mm -hmm. this is what I should be doing. But then the impacts on you may be quite profound and difficult, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, speaking of social comparison, um, what what do you think people should understand? Like, I, I, I think that it's helpful to understand personality styles when it comes to social comparison, right? Because sometimes yeah. we're looking at these people who are just, you know, maybe, maybe they're just working like crazy. And then we think that we have to work just as hard because you're probably familiar. Like there's this huge conversation about hustle culture versus burnout and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what, what should we recognize about our personality versus someone else's personality and why they might be making more and buying more things and stuff like that and how social comparison, uh, you know, acts in the workplace and affects us on a personal level. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that awareness of other people and self-awareness of personality can be really mm. useful in that sense, because when we're looking at personality as a very kind of long-term, stable, consistent way of thinking, acting, and behaving, sometimes we don't necessarily realize that other people are behaving in a very different way from us because their brains are wired significantly differently from ours. And mm -hmm. it's kind of on a continuum, so we might be able to recognize those behaviors in other people, but when people have kind of very opposite ends of personality spectrum, sometimes that's where the conflict happens because people are mm. so fundamentally different in the way that they think and act. Um, mm. You know, example of that might be kind of conscientiousness or perfectionism, right? Some mm -hmm. people are really, really, really focused on getting every detail right and they yeah. can read between the lines and they're obsessed with grammar and obsessed with punctuation and how the, you know, spacing of margin, you know, down to really, really focused details. Whereas some people are not like that at all and they might be a lot more spontaneous and flexible and adaptable and they're way more motivated by what's going on around them than what they're planning in 10 years time mm -hmm. so when you get people who are on opposite ends of those spectrums it can be really challenging to relate but once you know that those are kind of cognitive processes and there's kind of stable personality traits that are really difficult to just rewire in a day or two yeah. then you know that you're behaving completely differently and that's okay right people mm -hmm. are different like that and that's okay and the same is true as when you're looking at people on social media and social comparison is to know that people are fundamentally finding value or meaning in different things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what people are portraying on social media is not necessarily a very good representation of their life or it's yeah. a very small snapshot of it. So I think understanding both of those kind of things is important. Yeah. Uh, you know, speaking of that, that piece that I wrote, I appreciate you checking it out. I, I tell a brief little story about my mom when she came to visit, like she was asking like, oh, is there something wrong with me for being single? And it's like, no, like she's comparing. She, what's crazy too is that she's a freaking psychologist, you know. But sometimes yeah. it's hard when, you're, when you're in it, you need somebody else on the outside to say it. But absolutely, but, yeah. But but yeah, sometimes we're we're uh, we're comparing ourselves to others, and we don't check in. Like, well, what do I want? You know, I don't want these things. Like, my mom is totally happy with her her two dogs, her little pet chinchilla, and you know, whatever, and her grandkids yeah. and all that. But you know, uh, something um, that that really like uh kind of gave me an aha moment was when i read uh susan kane's best-selling book quiet about introverts right oh yeah, yeah and and she discussed how our 
our society, especially just, you know, maybe in the UK and the United States where capitalism kind of like runs things like, yeah, she talks about how it's kind of geared towards extroverts. Right. And when she discussed that, it kind of made sense to me because even though I do this podcast and I can talk with you all day long, I used to have insane social anxiety, even like in a workplace, I'm still more introverted. Like after these episodes, like I got to like sit and like chill for a little bit, but anyways, it seems like, and you've probably seen this a million times. It seems like confident extroverts succeed, right? Like when they're like showboating and they're like, you know, they're the first people to be like, Hey boss, look at my numbers. Look at this. Look at all the things that I'm doing. Right. (laughs) And then you have somebody over there who might be working just as hard doing the same thing, but they're not shoving it in the boss's face. And it seems like you start seeing this like Matthew effect where this person's over here, even though they're, you know, accomplishing things and this person's going there. So I guess, you know, this is kind of a two-part question, right? So for introverted employees, what's some advice? And then for employers, right? Like, <laughs> what should they be doing to not kind of feed into that extroverts went out in this like workplace climbing the corporate ladder type scenario? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's kind of understanding the continuum of it too, right? Because we have a, there, it's great to be a confident extrovert. That's very useful. Mm-hmm. But being an overconfident extrovert is sometimes leads into the kind of narcissism territory, yeah. right? And that is, narcissism is a great trait for getting promoted in the short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has all sorts of consequences. But if you want to get noticed, if you want to get seen by employers, then being very, very um, kind of outward about how you're expressing your achievements and overhyping yourself and doing all of that could be very useful. It has consequences when those that kind of overhyping doesn't meet the reality. So Mm -hmm. for employers, I think definitely look and focus on performance and look at the gap between what people are saying about themselves versus Mm. what they're actually doing. And I mean, a good manager, a good employer should have a good sense of who's actually doing the work in a team, who's doing the different contributions and who's actually getting stuff done. Um, because people who are overconfident like that tend sometimes to steal credit for other people's achievement. Uh, So, I mean, basically it sounds a bit boring, but have a good performance management system. So you know, who's doing what, who's meeting their goals, who who is actually achieving their targets and mm -hmm. making sure that people are being measured and evaluated based on realistic performance that they should be doing at work. Um, Mm -hmm. For kind of introverts or people with a bit less confidence, I would definitely say you need to find and develop ways of talking about your achievements that you can do. Like that doesn't mean be boasting at every party or drinks thing, or, you know, like trying mm-hmm. to change yourself into an extrovert. Cause it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. It's not going to make you happy to try and be something that's completely opposite to your personality, but find a way of doing that, that fits within those kind of personality traits. So yeah. it might be more kind of quiet individual conversations than boasting and in public or in a group, but finding ways of talking about your achievements at work that are kind of realistic and in line with what are, what's being asked for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, that's exactly what I kind of learned to do because I saw these people excelling and stuff and something that, you know, especially since getting sober and drugs were ruining my life, uh, I started, uh, kind of keeping track of my accomplishments. And since then, any job I've had in my sobriety, I've seen this upward mobility by finding that balance, like, because I'm keeping track of like big wins that I have. So like a good time for me, has been like annual reviews, right? When I go in there, I have something laid out that says, Hey, Here's, you know, I've seen this increase or whatever, or I mentioned working at that addiction treatment center. Um, I showed my numbers and everything like that and talked to them. And I got 
really big promotion, really big <laughs> raise. Yeah. And, and it was crazy. And I didn't, I didn't go around boasting, like, because, you know, I empathize with people like myself, uh, because I don't like, I don't like bragging or, or coming off that I am, but sometimes, but yeah, I think what helps me is too, is I, I remember that I have a son that I have to feed and it's like, Hey, sometimes you gotta, you gotta get a little uncomfortable if you want, <laughs> you want to be able to provide for your kid, you know? Yeah. And I think a little bit of that discomfort is fine sometimes, because if you're a person and I empathize with this a lot, cause I could be like this too, where you like, it's, you feel like comfortable talking about your achievements or don't really want to kind of, kind of go too far in that. But I think sometimes there's a bit of self-reflection of going, okay, why don't I want to talk about this? Or what am I kind mm -hmm. of avoiding or shying away from that I don't want to talk about? Because sometimes if you look back, you go, oh, actually that was great in context. And I mm -hmm. do deserve to have these achievements and for them to be great because they're yeah. important to me and other people can you know, benefit from what I've learned or what the experience is or what's happened. So I think mm -hmm. some of that kind of introspection is useful too, to say, okay, why don't I want to boast about this? Or what am I shying away from talking about? Because maybe that's something that is useful for your employer or your friends or colleagues or whatever to know about. Yeah. And, and, you know, on, on the same topic and, you know, this is how your book kind of ties to, together with like, uh, you know, our careers and work and, uh, social media. Right. So a lot of work is taking place online. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm curious, you know, how, how we go about some of these topics that we're discussing about accomplishments and everything for like, for example, a lot of my work now is online. It's networking. It's, you know, like, uh, like I mentioned, I was introducing your work through David Robson and I like reached out to you and stuff like that. And I'll just use myself as an example because I know my situation, but podcast is doing great. It's blowing up, getting a lot of big guests and everything like that. And so when I'm having these kind of professional conversations, like, you know, if I'm talking with potential sponsors, potential guests, whoever it is, there's, there's this communication thing that we're all still trying to figure out about online. Yeah. Right. Like it's a lot easier. Like if I'm in a workplace, like if I, if I'm sitting next to someone every day, it's like, okay, are you a jerk or are you cool? You know? And yeah. it's a lot more <laughs> difficult to gauge that online. So, you know, you, you have a lot of experience with it. It's like, what are some things that we can look for online to gauge personalities and maybe the best way to talk with them? Cause you have a lot of advice in the book on how to deal with different personalities, but seems like when yeah. we're on the internet, it's a lot, it's a lot <laughs> harder to kind of gauge that. So what, what can we do in these types of scenarios? Yeah, it can be, especially because in person, you're just getting so much information, right? From body language and tone of voice and how people relate to other people, which is something you can't mm. always see online when it's just one-to-one. -one. There's so much information in person that can be lost online. But I think one of the things that's useful is having multiple different communication channels mm. and I know there's a lot of Zoom fatigue, but I think sometimes, you know, one-to-one -one and video audio is more useful than always text because you're just getting more different types of information and you're mm -hmm. communicating with kind of more information about each other. So I think Ooh. combining those channels is useful. Um, I think if it's people you're working with fairly regularly, having kind of informal or group events, even if it has to be online is useful too, just to be able to get to know and relate to people in different circumstances and in different environments. Cause I know sometimes I've worked with people who are, you know, over the last year or two, who I've never met, I've never seen in person. And if we only talk in on one channel for very focused, very task centric things, mm -hmm. then you only get a really small bit of information about 
how they're working. And so I think anything you can do to build a bit more rapport or relationship with people, especially if you're working in different contexts or an ongoing way is really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things about kind of understanding personality and communication methods is that you shouldn't make judgments about one event, one discussion, you know, just yeah. a one-off thing. So they'll not say, okay, I met this person for five minutes. They're a narcissist. I've written them off. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because we all have days where we're a bit kind of, <laughs> yeah, just having, you know, struggling one way or another or trying to present something or dealing with other stuff. Yeah. So if you can get more kind of information over time, then about people are communicating, how they're acting, how they're behaving and understanding them. And you get a more kind of nuanced, comprehensive picture of the people you're working with, then that mm-hmm. can really help. Um, so sometimes hopping on an audio call or a video call can be useful. Yeah. It's always useful because sometimes it can be a lot more effective not to. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I would say as we're moving forward to more kind of hybrid models, mixing in-person with digital is good. Like we're probably never going to go back to 100% in-person for a yeah. lot of careers and a lot of environments. I sure hope not. Um, yeah. But again, the only virtual is not ideal either, I don't think. Yeah. And, and I could tell you from experience, I, I just started this podcast in May and I've gone through some transitions and things like that. Like when I first started this podcast, I, I don't even know if people know this, maybe they do, but initially I was like, authors are busy. I don't want to bug them. Cause that's <laughs> how I am. I'm always worried I'm going to bug people. So what I was doing with the first, uh, like probably like 10, 20 episodes, I was sending questions. They would send back an audio file. Right. And I would edit oh, yeah. myself in asking the questions to make it seem like a conversation. Right. But yeah. anyways, <laughs> uh, I've, I've stepped up to doing this and I've had some authors where they're like, uh, you know, they'll ask like, Hey, is this video? And I have a YouTube channel. I upload a lot of episodes, but not all of them, but yeah. video is very helpful because you get to read their voice through audio, but with video, you can see facial expressions and, you know, and things like that. Um, I've had some people on here where like, they're, they're literally answering me while talking to like a spouse or somebody who's like for a kid, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> and there's a lot of things because then I can gauge like how much you're paying attention. But I'll tell you the number one thing I've, I've learned. And it's kind of like what you mentioned, like, you know, you got to kind of get this collection of data. I've seen people where their online personality is completely different than their mm. normal personality, right? There's people where I'm just like, man, you are just a jerk on Twitter all day long, right? <laughs> and and I have a yeah. conversation. I'm like, you are a sweet, sweet person and a very kind yeah. person because there's a lot of personal branding going on on the internet and all these other things. And, you yeah. know, when I get more information and uh, I, I can gauge the person a lot better, you know, through, mm-hmm. especially with, when you have an hour to talk to somebody, you get to learn about them a little bit. You can see how they react to certain questions and if they're, you know, kind of BSing you and stuff, but you know, with, with that, you, you do have like sections on like internet trolls and just people who are just like that. And I think, you know, one place to focus on is you talk about people who kind of like isolate and lo- and they're lonely. Because that's something I always try to remember when I'm dealing with like just a random jerk online. I yeah. try to like I, I'll lie to myself. I'm like, this person has a terrible life. They're sitting in a basement somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, I do that too. Oh, fully. Yeah. <laughs> so what can we understand about those types of personality types and getting deeper and not just looking at their surface level tweets or comments that they might post? You probably have book reviews that you look at sometimes. You're like, this mother, you know what I mean? So yeah. So what can we understand about kind of dealing with jerks on the internet and their personalities. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think I've actually really learned over the last year or so too, is sometimes when people talk to you online, they're not actually talking to you. Mm. Um, I've had that happen a few times where people are kind of talking at you 
But once you look behind it a bit, they're clearly promoting something else or they're selling something else or they're kind of using them, using you as a foil to them. So they're saying they're trying to define someone else and then saying, well, I'm opposite to this person. So sometimes there's a lot of stuff going on that isn't personal, but it's kind of like someone's been identified or targeted for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. One of the things I think to remember is that, yeah, what people say is not always targeted specifically at you or with a lot of consideration mm -hmm. about it. Um, but again, yeah, it's kind of understanding those dynamics or sometimes people on, you know, Twitter or LinkedIn, I find sometimes people are quite one dimensional because they're really focused yeah. on one thing and portraying a brand and idea or the other thing that happens is people have read a couple of articles or something about how you're supposed to trick the algorithm. And so people are really talking to Google and not you because <laughs> yeah. they're trying to, you know, promote articles in a certain way. And all these other <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, is this? And sometimes I wonder if people are actually bots because they're just behaving in a way that seems to be yeah. trying to focus on an algorithm. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things really is not to judge people too much by, you know, one specific tweet or reaction or whatever, because, mm -hmm. you know, that's not necessarily representative of their behavior over time. I don't know. You've had some experience with negative interactions online. What? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, um, the whole reason I got into books and just started reading and following my curiosity and everything was because of tribalism. Right. Mm. And so when you're like, uh, how you're talking about, you know, people like, uh, on LinkedIn, right. They're trying to like talk to the algorithms and stuff like yeah, yeah. my background, you know, uh, the job that I just had for a couple of years, um, was in, uh, digital marketing, personal branding and all. So I get it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, what I see, what I see a lot of is, is this kind of, uh, this tribalism, this need to be accepted by the group and everything. Mm. Um, I think about that a lot. So when I see these comments, I look at it and I'm like, what are you, what are you signaling right now? What are you trying to, who yeah. are you, you know, are you talking to me or are you showing your tribe? Like, Hey, I'm one of you. Right. Yeah. And then when it comes to personality, I think of people who are people pleasers and people who are silent right before we hopped on here. Here's a good example. Right before we hopped on here, um, I had someone message me privately to talk about something I wrote and how much they agreed with it. But why didn't they say it publicly? Yeah, because they might be concerned that they might upset their tribe. And even in the workplace, we're seeing a lot of, you know, in this social media age, there are employers who are looking at social media before they hire you or even while you're yeah. working there, because it's probably not a good look if you're talking, if you work for a tech company and you're online talking about all the evils of technology and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> so I don't know, like, I, I, I'm curious your, your thoughts on that too, like, is, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot is online, like social media, even a real place, you know, like I do my best to be like, okay, mm. this isn't real. This isn't who they really are, but we're seeing how online personalities lead to real world things, yeah. right? Like, I don't want to get into a whole January 6th or anything like that, but we do see how it's like affecting real world, world things. Like you might lose a job because of what you did online and your personality online based on, because now you're representing a company. So how do you see all these things kind of interacting with each other in this digital age? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, communication and discussion and relationships that happen online, I think are very real and they do affect people in the same way that kind of in-person say real world, but I think social media mm -hmm. is part of the real world. Um, yeah. kind of relationships and communication are affecting people. And I think especially in the last couple of years where a lot of people have been isolated and, you know, alone in person, 
their social circle is online. For a lot yeah. of us, the people we're talking to are online. So, you know, everyone makes sense of the world through their relationships and their interaction with other people. And so your kind of social circle online is going to impact that. Mm. And what you see as normal is going to be impacted by what your kind of normal standard, your tribe or your group or your circle is online. So especially if we're looking at over years and years, then that is going to have a serious impact. And we do see all sorts of different personalities online, mm -hmm. but it's also a relatively small minority of people who are active on Twitter, right? It's only a couple percent of any country who yeah. is creating most of the content on any social media platform. So that's interesting too, because you're looking at a small segment usually who are motivated for one reason or another mm -hmm. to be creating that content or to be um, kind of, uh, you know, spreading information or having discussions. And I think there's definitely a whole range from very positive, very useful, very constructive to a lot of the opposite. Um, yeah. The other thing is understanding or knowing how many are bots because, you know, Facebook and Twitter are banning billions and billions and billions of yeah. bots from companies and marketers and people who are supposedly have political ideologies. There's it's really, really hard and it's getting more challenging to distinguish between who are real people and what are bots that are promoting something mm -hmm. for one reason or another. So I think that's another reason not to take stuff too personally or to always yeah. use social media as a barometer of what's necessarily going on mm. um, in communities or in regions or in areas because it's such an amplified kind of distorted version of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and speaking of bots, uh, you know, it's it's gotten really bad on YouTube in the last year or so too. Mm. Uh, a, a strategy I've seen from whoever's programming these bots is <laughs> I'll have videos about, I have videos about, you know, I have these interviews that I put up. I have mental health stuff. I have, you know, addiction stuff. I'll have stuff talking about these topics as they relate to movies. But anyways, you'll have one comment. You'll have a comment from a random. that's like, Hey, does anybody know where I can find this kind of thing? And then a bot replies to it and says, Hey, you can go here. Right. Oh, yeah. And it does that. And it'll be, it's like this fake conversation. And, you know, one of the, one of the reasons when I, uh, when we first started talking, I'm like, is this going to be a different kind of social media type book or, you know, and it, it definitely was. And I want to tell all the listeners, like you need this book because it's, it's different, <laughs> but uh, I'm always surprised. I'm like, do people not realize this? Do people not realize what's going on with, you know, bots or, you know, how loud these voices are. And I think, I think one of the things that you touched on that is probably what people aren't really aware of is that there's this there's probably like this 80 percent that is just silent not interacting nearly as much they're more spectators yeah. they're not voicing their thing i'm actually outlining a piece whenever i get ready to have time to write it about this silent middle because i've had to remind myself about that right because sometimes mm -hmm. i'll look i'll look on twitter or instagram or, or facebook and i'm like everybody's insane right but yeah. <laughs> i have yeah. to remind i have to remind myself like this is a very small fraction of of the people so mm -hmm. so how I don't, I don't know what do you what are your thoughts on on the silent people on social media do you think they should be using it more to communicate and maybe play around with some ideas because i guess one of the reasons i think about it is because i think the silent middle can help cool down some temperatures with more balanced ideas on various topics. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, well, I think I think some people use it. A lot of people use it as an entertainment platform, too, right? Like it's mm -hmm. kind of a passive entertainment platform. So people follow, you know, what they want to be seeing or news stories they're interested in or but they're not necessarily going to be actively producing content. And I think I don't think a majority of people ever will be producing that much content. Um, yeah. It's kind of 
yeah, a, a small amount of people are producing most of it. And I don't know if getting more people involved would be better or worse, actually. That's a good <laughs> question. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, what would it be if it was just a, like moderates had their own Twitter, people who are moderate on any issue or people who hadn't made up their mind yeah. had their own Twitter, it'd be a very different place. Um, but I think, I mean, the platforms are completely geared to promote the most extreme, the most mm -hmm. kind of emotion inducing content, um, uh, content, whether that's, you know, fear, anger, anxiety, anxiety is great for selling products. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, I think a lot of people are scared off by that and don't necessarily want to participate in it. Some people are passive observers because they don't, maybe they're new to it too. There's still a lot of people who are just picking this stuff up, yeah. especially as more platforms come out. Um, yeah, that's a tough one, but I think just understanding that context is important. And I think for anyone who's using social media too, it's important to have a defined, like a clear idea of why you're using it or what yeah. you want to get from it. Because mm -hmm. um, otherwise it's really easy to get lost in whatever content or whatever rabbit hole or, you know, thinking that a really small minority opinion is the mainstream or, mm -hmm. you know, understand what you're using it for and why. Because otherwise any of these platforms are going to sell you as much toxic ideology yeah. and content and products and whatever they can get your interest in. Um, so if you can be a bit more focused and understand how and why you're using it, then you can mitigate some of the toxic in impacts potentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, like I'm in a certain bubble because a lot of the people I talk to are people like yourself. I talk to authors, I talk to writers, I talk to other creatives. And when we when we touch social media, we have a clear purpose, right? Whether yeah. it's whether it's promoting your work, whether it's uh, experimenting with ideas that might lead to other work and stuff like yeah. that. And and yeah, now now it makes me want to just talk to my friends and stuff and be like, hey. How do you use social media? Because I think my girlfriend's a great example of the silent middle. She'll just sit there and like scrolling through Facebook and she'll just be showing me stuff and like, yeah, look she's, at that. Ha, ha, she's that's not, funny. Oh, that's she's crazy. Not that yeah. Active. yeah. Yeah. Um, so with a little bit more of your time, one of the first things that that popped up in my mind when I was reading your book too, and I think you do an excellent job of this, but I wanted to ask you, are you concerned? Because this is actually what got me in trouble. Part of what got me in trouble in the YouTube world a lot long ago. Are you worried that people are going to take your book and start running around diagnosing people, right? Like, oh, hey, yeah. there's a narcissist, there's a sociopath, you got borderline personality. Disorder. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like, I'm sitting I'm like, uh oh. So, but like I said, I think you do a good job discussing it, but I'm curious, like, how that worked as you were writing this and were you concerned? How do you try to mitigate it and all that? Yeah, that's a really good, I'm glad you bring that up actually, because I do like to mention that whenever I can to make sure that this, this is not a diagnostic tool. There is yeah. a diagnostic tool for personality disorders and it's not for kind of amateur psychology necessarily to go around saying, okay, this is this type of person, this person has this type of personality disorder. All of my family's like this. It's yeah. useful as a guideline. And so understanding these kind of patterns of behavior and the way you relate to people is useful in understanding where they come from and how to work with them and some mm -hmm. of their strengths and some things that they need to work on, but I wouldn't say necessarily diagnose everyone, but understanding some of the stuff that's going on with people and how they communicate, how they think mm -hmm. about stuff, how they work is really useful in understanding that. And especially in asking them about themselves. So I would not necessarily say just use this to make judgments about other people, but use it to inform your conversations. I mean, if you're mm. an employer, use it to think about what questions you're going to ask at an interview. If someone's done a personality test, that's not telling you everything about them. That's giving you some information about the discussions you want to have with them, about how they work, what they do well, what they can bring to the company. If mm -hmm. you're having conflict in a team, 
don't say, okay, this is X person and I don't like them because they're this and they're this personality type. Say, okay, maybe I need to understand a bit more about what's going on. Or one of the things with the personality disorders is people have really kind of rigid and difficult ways of reacting under extreme stress. So some of the things that we see when we see either kind of narcissistic or avoidant or, you know, kind of shy personality types or to the extremes of disorders is people are reacting that way under extreme stress. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case and someone's behaving badly or causing problems and it's a really difficult time, then how do you manage that? And how can you help in that person's team or their environment or their work to make sure that they have the resources, the supports they need to have effective, healthy coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms? instead of going a bit off the rails. So that's not something you can always do personally or help, but having that understanding. And I think that context Mm -hmm. can be used to make relationships better instead of making people more tribal and setting them apart. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and with that, you know, I, I have a a bunch of listeners from all over the place. I haven't surveyed them to see what their, their careers are, but let's, let's say I even have five people here listening who are managers or they own a company or whatever, because mm-hmm. I think this is extremely important. I, I, I talk with people about this. Like, I think it's important in school too, is recognizing different personalities. Like some kids learn differently, right? Some people yeah. are going to work differently. Like I, you know, uh, sometimes I thrive in groups other times I, you know, when I can just get in flow and just work by myself forever. So I guess like, can you kind of describe why it's so important for employers, business owners, or whoever, why is it so important that they understand these different personality types, how people work under pressure and all these other things, and how can it benefit their company? Because I think when business owners hear this stuff, it's like, okay, but is it going to make me money? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, it, I think it can, like when you put the right people in the right positions, you know, yeah. it, it's going to lead to better business. So can you kind of break mm-hmm. down what employers can learn from your book and understanding different personality types? Yeah, I think that's really useful in understanding who can perform best in different roles, mm-hmm. right? So even if you have someone who's, let's say, very detail-focused, anally retentive, and gets really annoyed with anything going wrong, they're probably great as an operations manager or a safety inspector or someone, you know, a role that you need to be identifying problems and it's important to pick up on the smallest things, mm-hmm. um, you know, legal or technical or operational roles, sometimes that's really good for. Whereas if you have someone who's very good at, you know, big picture ideas, who are is kind of general but has kind of long-ranging vision but is not always good at specifics then that's someone who's going to work really effectively in a different type of role where they can do that and so if you can get the right people into the right roles you're going to have a lot more productive team and you know any organization even if it's just a small team of a half dozen people Mm -hmm. you're going to have different people doing different tasks so if you can get people who are the kind of most well suited to those then that's going to help you Obviously, personality is part of that. If you can get the right people and then give them the right training experience support, Mm. that's going to make them a lot more effective. But then knowing too what is going to make people more likely to go off the rails or what kind of circumstances they find really challenging. Um, Because you see this in teams sometimes where one person is really, really stressed out by something or there's something that they just can't manage, whether Mm -hmm. maybe it's a customer complaint. And there's one person who's really, really sensitive to someone who is you know, feeling a lot of difficulty or challenge or has a certain problem, whereas some people are less sensitive to it. So understanding Mm. that particular trigger for that person, you know, when you can support your team, when people need help with certain things, you know, who's going to be more resilient to those stressors too, right? So you might have someone who you can um, rely on in certain circumstances, but getting the right person in the right job is really important. 
And if you try and get, sometimes what happens when people are hiring is people hire 10 copies of themselves and then put them in different <laughs> roles. Yeah. And they're not sure why everything's going wrong. It's because yeah. you need different types of people with different skills and personalities in those roles. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, uh, I'm sure you've encountered it. There's, there's a huge debate about uh, diversity hires and works and stuff like that. Um, who was it? Matt, Matthew Said. Uh, I don't know if you read his recent book called Rebel Ideas, but he argues for like kind of diverse thinking and everything. Like that's where I'm like, yeah, you need diverse thoughts because like you yeah. said, if you just get a bunch of carbon copies of yourself, like it's yeah. the same, it's the same issue you run into in echo chambers, right? If everybody's yeah. the same and they're all thinking the same, everything sounds like a good idea. Hell, I can go back to when I worked in addiction treatment, I would explain to people like, Hey, you need to travel in groups of like three, because it's really easy for two recovering addicts to think a really bad idea is a really yeah. good idea. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. So, so that's why, like, even in the workplace, we needed diverse, uh, you know, diverse personalities, diverse ideas and all that. But, you know, uh, now on the opposite side of that question, like employers and identifying different personality types. So I'll, I'll use myself as a quick example before asking you, uh, when you're talking about this, like me being like kind of introverted, when I used to work in the car dealership industry, I, on busy days, I'd get customer after customer, after customer, after customer and introverts, we kind of need to reset after a lot of social stimulation. And I had yep. no time to do it. I didn't learn until later that that's what I needed, but it was complete hell for me. Right. So I guess, you know, one of my last questions for you is say, say someone picks up your book, they're an employee. From your experience, what's the best way to, I don't know, have a conversation with a supervisor or a manager and say, Hey, here's kind of what I recognize about myself. Here's where I think I could thrive or, you know, whatever. Cause I think there's a lot of fear mm -hmm. around saying that, like, Oh, I want you to like yeah. pander to my needs and everything, but how can you come across and maybe sell yourself on the value to your supervisor or employer on maybe shifting your position or your role based on what you're good at? Yeah. And I think sometimes those, if they're approached, right, those conversations can be easier at work or if it's about something that's about work because it's a bit less personal so if you can separate it from yourself a bit and say okay this is what i can do really well especially if you can provide an example of it and do mm. the work um then i mean really what you're saying is i can provide value to the employer to the company in this way instead of taking it as a you know oh this is i think i would be really good at this so i should have this opportunity because i'd like it you say okay i I could contribute this to the team, or here's something I could do, or here's a skill that I think I would be good at, but I need some sort of stretch assignment. Let's do a kind of safe practice of it. Uh, Let's do it a bit yeah. in a low risk way. If that's mm -hmm. successful, if that's effective, then maybe that's more responsibility that I can take on, or that's a role that I could take on if it works well. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, you need a good employer who's re relatively willing to listen in that, but I mean, any employer who wants to grow the business or wants to have an effective company and team is going to be very open to listening to those ideas or mm. listening to someone who says, I can do this and it's going to make my job and this team even better, even more effective. So I think you need to have that mutual trust and respect in employers and employees the willingness to listen because I mean, not hundred percent of bosses are like that realistically. Yeah. <laughs> so it, there's a bit of gauging that as well. Um, but kind of having that openness and I think there's a bit of willingness to fail that you need to have on both sides too, because a lot of times that's where we learn the most stuff is from failing but in a safe environment going okay we did this we tried this here's what went wrong but it's not going to go wrong next time because we tried it and we know what to do right yeah yeah absolutely and and yeah Ian, i appreciate you coming on i appreciate the book like there's so much value in there and and even what you just touched on like you have entire sections on the book i'm like 
gauging your boss's personality and knowing better ways to talk with them and communicate. And I think that that's huge when like communication, obviously in the workplace is huge. It's huge in any relationship you have. So we barely scratched the surface of all the stuff you cover like that. It's a really good book and I hope it gets the attention it deserves. So for everybody, for everybody listening, uh, the book is out. Is it out internationally? Can people get it anywhere? Like, yeah, it's out in, uh, in Europe right now. It'll be out at the end of January in North America, but the ebook's Mm. out everywhere. So if you want to read the ebook, it's available everywhere now. Then the North American release will be end of January. Beautiful. And you are a writing machine too. So where's the best place for people to follow you, uh, to see what you're up to and when you got new stuff coming out and all that. Yeah. Twitter or LinkedIn is probably best. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I post a few, the, the odd interview and a bit of information about the books and stuff. Um, but yeah, Twitter or LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Beautiful. Well, Ian, it was a blast and yeah, I, I need to get caught up on all your other books. So we'll probably be doing okay. this again sometime, <laughs> but yeah, man, I really yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Yeah. Thanks very much. This was great. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ian. That was my first time meeting him. I'm like, this is a really nice, interesting guy. And yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. And I loved how we were able to uh, get into the conversation about personalities changing because, you know, uh, I I am one of the people who's like, you know what, forget personalities and stuff like that. Like I don't live my life around, you know, like Myers-Briggs and yeah, I know we touched on the suicides behind that. I mean, now people like flaunting it everywhere. But one of the reasons is, is I don't like getting into the mindset that uh, uh, personalities are fixed, right? So although, you know, Ian and I discuss a lot about dealing with difficult personalities at work or online or, you know, whatever, you know, part of my uh, sobriety, part of my recovery is looking at me, my personality, what what I can control and what I can't. And I worked really, really hard to change the person uh, that I am. And yeah, like uh, a lot of you are meeting the best version of Chris, but I used to suck. All right. <laughs> so for anybody out there, I just hope that gives you a little bit of hope that uh, if if you don't like where you're at, if you don't like, you know, how you react to situations and all that kind of stuff, I just know that it it takes work, but you, you can change. All right. For me, it took 12 step meetings, it took meditation, it took therapy, all sorts of stuff. But also maybe it'll give you a little hope that that jerk that you work with or the people you interact with online, maybe they'll go through some life-changing event where they realize that they need to start working on their personality. But anyways, like I said, and like you gathered from this podcast, like there's so, so much packed in this book. And like I said, this book blew me away. I expected it to just be a bunch of the same old stuff. And it it was so, so, so good. So I highly recommend it. Make sure you head down to the description. Make sure you're following Ian uh, over on Twitter and make sure you grab a copy of the book. All this is linked down below. The book is out in the UK and now it's out in North America as well. All right, but before I let you go, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, uh, stuff that I'm working on, my writing and all that. But I love talking with all of you, getting book recommendations. So make sure you're following me at The Rewired Soul over on Instagram and Twitter. And two easy ways for you to support the podcast that don't cost you a penny. If you like this episode, if you think people can uh, get some value from it, share it on social media. That helps get the word out. And I love you for it. All right. Next, if you could take two seconds, two seconds, just two little seconds out of your life 
head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review for the Rewired Soul Podcast. That helps a lot. The algorithms love this stuff. They love when you rate it. They love when you share it. And by the way, by the way, too, for all you Spotify listeners out there, maybe you could try this. I think, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think you can leave ratings on podcasts over on Spotify now. So if you're a Spotify listener, head on over there, see if you can leave a rating. All right. But some other ways to uh, support the podcast is you can head over to the rewiredsoul.com. I have self-published uh, quite a few books um, on mental health, addiction recovery. I discuss my experience being canceled on YouTube. Uh, Ian and I discussed that a little bit. But another way that you can help support is uh, become a paid subscriber over on Substack. $5 a month or $50 for the year. You help support what I'm doing, and you also get all of the regular episodes of the podcast a day early. And lastly, lastly, if you're interested, if you're interested in working on your mental health or working on your your personality, there is also a link in the description for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right, so this is a service that I have personally used. I loved it, loved my therapist. Uh, she helped me out through a lot of really difficult times. So BetterHelp, it's affordable. It's online. You work with a licensed therapist from your state. And yeah, it's super duper convenient. So yeah, check out that affiliate link. Basically what that means is when you sign up, a little bit comes back to support the podcast and you get some awesome therapy. All right. So anyways, another huge thanks to Ian for coming on the podcast to chat about his new book. Make sure you're following him. Grab a new copy. And yeah, this week, uh, for sure, for sure, I will be releasing another episode. It'll probably be coming out, I think, uh, Wednesday or Thursday will be the early episode. So yeah, there'll be another episode this week. So make sure that you stay tuned. All right. Other than that, have an amazing rest of your day and I'll see you next time.